and welcome to episode 5, Anarchy and Archaeology. Today's episode, we'll look at anarchism, we'll look at Marxism, we'll look at every other ism, as well as social theory and how this all relates to archaeology. We'll talk about how it affects methodology, but also what it means for archaeology as a discipline as a whole. I also have a little bit of a breakdown in the middle of this episode, so please excuse the amount of laughter that I give out. We try and take apart what it really means to be an anarchist in archaeology. And welcome to the Anarchaeologist Podcast, episode 5. Today's episode is about anarchism and archaeology. Please, please don't shy away from the word. We're going to demonstrate to you within the next 45 to 50 minutes why you should be an anarchaeologist. Stay tuned for that and much, much more. Hi, today I am talking to Edward Gonzalez Tennant, who is a... Assistant Professor at Monmouth University. Is that okay, Monmouth University? Yep, that's perfect. I mean, you can say, nobody's going to know where that's at. You could probably say Monmouth University in New Jersey. Monmouth University in New Jersey. Now, uh, recently, Ed sent me a wonderful little presentation on anarchy and archaeology. Ed, could you tell me a little bit about what your kind of research is? Of course, yeah. Um, so I'm a historical archaeologist, and I work primarily, uh, at least for the, the better part of the last decade, with uh, African diasporic sites. So I, uh, I do research into issues related to social inequality in African-American life, uh, particularly in Florida, where my PhD was based, uh, around a site uh, in a town called Rosewood, Florida, which was a majority black community that was destroyed in 1923 during a week-long episode of violence that's been uh, traditionally remembered or or remembered as the 1923 Rosewood Race Riot. Mm -hmm. I also conduct uh, research, uh, collaborative archaeology research in the Caribbean, and for the last three years I've been taking students uh, every summer to the island of Nevis and St. Kitts and Nevis uh, to do archaeological projects associated with um, well, with a British fort that because of our collaborative approach we're interpreting as a site of Afro-Novesian or Afro-Caribbean identity and we were we were sort of led to that project because of a collaborative based approach with Afro-Novesian communities and we're the first group to do archaeology at what turns out to be one of the earliest and longest lived British forts in the New World. Nice, nice. So, uh, at the moment, uh, what are your current research projects that you're so, interested in? Uh, so, basically, I, uh, you know, I largely I divide my time 
uh, between Rosewood and Nevis. Um, Rosewood is moving into sort of, uh, I've been working there since 2005 and really uh, in depth since 2008. And right now I'm dividing my time between uh, sort of the next step of that project, which involves a lot of uh, virtual world environment work to reconstruct uh, sensitively elements of the race riot as a way to sort of engage the public on, you know, sort of generate a public conversation on issues of social justice and racial reconciliation. And then also continuing to work in uh, the Caribbean. So really sort of focusing on these two projects in Florida and the Caribbean. So can you kind of, um, like, obviously, uh, the title of this uh, episode is about anarchism and archaeology. Why do you think these two things should even coexist? What is the thinking behind bringing anarchism to archaeology? Well, um, you know, and I think this is a beautiful thing about anarchism. So I'm going to have my opinion uh, and I'm going to express a certain, you know, I guess, constellation of justifications, if you will. Others will have different ones. And, you know, this is postmodern turns aside, what have you. The, 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 the multiple truths and the, the multiple ways of thinking that are embedded in anarchism and even celebrated, I think that in and of itself is sort of a beautiful thing. Um, for me, right, thinking about anarchism, I'm, um, I'm particularly drawn to the idea of anarchism as a sort of a kind of a three things, right, as a, as a critique of the state, as an opposition to hierarchy, and really driving a more complex or complete understanding of power. And these three things, clearly, I think, immediately, we can see how they resonate with archaeology. So we have a, you know, we have a political theory and anarchism that is interested in many of the same things, particularly historical archaeologists, right, who, who sort of gather around understanding or investigating globalization, the modern world. Uh, so a critique of the state is particularly relevant for us. Uh, clearly, the rise of states, I think, means anarchism would speak to many prehistoric archaeologists. Um, the, the, you know, opposition to reifying hierarchy resonates with me personally and my interest in collaborative approaches to studying the past. And all of these things are going to hinge on really theorizing and honestly engaging with issues of power. And that's not just as a topic, but that's as right uh, sort of a decolonizing practice of our own discipline, which is, you know, archaeology itself is clearly haunted by issues of power in, in ways that are both subtle and clear. I must say that Colonial Ghosts of Archaeology does sound like a post-rock band that I would definitely listen to. <laughs> but you're completely right, and uh, I, I, I would definitely agree with you that uh, archaeology is definitely um, still trying to shake off its colonial past, especially in some of the conversations that are had um, about in uh, American uh, archaeology and anthropology. And um, but I think um, what my question, next question about uh, anarchism uh, is, I mean, obviously anarchism does not really like structure, you know, and obviously in archaeology, we have quite a bit of structure where that's in terms of I'm thinking more in practical terms of the way we record and represent data from a site. Obviously, 
um, we, we are required to do some sort of structure in physical terms. Um, do you think anarchy kind of comes into that, or is anarchy dealing solely with the quote-unquote theory side of archaeology? Well, you know, um, in my own perspective, I think this is, again, I think this is another beautiful thing about anarchism is it is, like many other social theories, it actually also resonates or can even inform methodology. Um, so we can, you know, when you're in the field, a field school or, you know, any sort of training situation, I think most archaeologists, regardless of um, how long they've been doing archaeology, right? And myself, I've only, I've been doing it for about 15 years. Um, so not a huge time, but also not, I think, an insignificant amount of time. Um, it's very common for people on sites to sort of encourage even, oh, it's your first week ever digging a site. Well, what do you think of these things? You know, and that, that idea could be extrapolated. Um, we have a very, I think, oftentimes congenial approach to studying the past while we're in the field. So in terms of, you know, anarchism being sort of anti-structure, it's certainly anti-hierarchical structure. But even a lot of anarchist theorists, when they talk about how do you organize uh, an anarchist society, understand that there's times where you need leaders to step forward and, you know, you need structures in place to, um, you know, to accomplish specific tasks. I think where anarchism often deviates from other political theories, I'm not alone, I think, I'm thinking this, is that it basically says, okay, well, that task is done, so that hierarchically ordered structure that accomplished said task can now dissolve. It doesn't have to become part of a, you know, bloated bureaucratic beast that, um, you know, basically uh, prohibits us from doing something well or good or what have you in the future. Yeah. So in, in terms of, of anarchism, I mean, I think we can think of it as both theory and methodology. And in that regard, you know, and I think we're going to talk about it, but in that regard, there's a lot about issues of expertise that are embedded either implicitly or explicitly within anarchist thought and the idea of the expert is actually very very prolific in archaeology it's a point that i always take is that archaeology especially i think majority of its representations in mass media is this idea of this small pottering professor who you know sits in the back of the library and reads through his dusty old books and occasionally spouts something about what history was and what happened and you know and that that's the and we, we kind of listen to him because well you know he spent his ages you know reading books and stuff and maybe you know he he actually directs time team so we should listen to him uh, but in, in reality, I think the reality is actually archaeologists are very, very much on the same level as everyone else. A lot of archaeologists, I'm sure, don't really see themselves as experts per se, rather than, I think, nowadays, a lot of archaeologists are more than eager to get other people involved, whether they know archaeology or they don't. I'm just wondering that when we get a... Uh, 
more transparent view of archaeology through uh, media, whether we'll see this fall of the expert. I mean, do you think that in anarchism, um, that there will be a fall of the expert? That's in quotation marks, if <laughs> because nobody can see what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Well, um, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of, of sort of rich terrain to, to cover with a question like that. Um, so, you know, let me start by, I do think um, there is a, a clear move among archaeologists to, um, to shed off certain uh, trappings of these representations of, of, of us as <laughs> dusty, old yeah. relics ourselves who are purveyors of some privileged knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think while that's uh, a laudable goal and one that a lot of people pay um, lip service yeah. to, uh, I don't know truly how many archaeologists who have either received uh, postgraduate or advanced degrees or have moved into the academy or uh, oversee projects or et cetera. Um, I'm not sure how many of them are genuinely invested in relieving themselves of authority. Uh, and I think many of them, and, and I'm not saying archaeologists don't have expertise that should be centered in some ways and sometimes. I, I do, you know, I want to be careful with what I'm about to say. <laughs> I do believe that, you know, you spend, you know, four, six, eight, ten, however many years yeah. different people spent in different uh, trajectories to become archaeologists, you do develop certain techniques, skills, theoretical perspectives that are of great utility. Um, That, however, does not mean we need to act the expert or authoritative. Um, There are many non-authoritative ways of sharing and building knowledge. Um, And there's a lot of anarch, you know, I think a lot of living anarchism right now is actually directed towards issues of education um, because the education environment around the world infused with it is increasingly with a neoliberal sensitivity is not doing a lot of people great service. And I say this as a professor, right? Uh, <laughs> not doing a lot of people great service mm-hmm. in terms of teaching them how to think. Yeah. So shedding our expert exteriors, um, that's a, that's a hard thing. And that's, you know, issues of reflexivity come into that. I do believe anarchism can help with that. Uh, I mean, it, again, I see this as a living philosophy, yep. uh, like many other philosophies or political theories, that's geared towards understanding, hey, the modern world is an unequal place, and there's a lot of structural and economic reasons for that. Um, we have, we're, we're not going to, um, you know, I guess in the words of uh, like Audrey Lord, we're not going to dismantle that house, that master's house with the same tools. We're not going to make education better Mm -hmm. by reproducing the hierarchical structures of the rest of society. And some people like that. You know, there are a lot of faculty members I've encountered either as a student or as a colleague who are very much engaged in producing a less hierarchical classroom. But then there are probably as many or more educators (laughs) who very much relish that position of authority and elite status that comes with being, you know, a professor comes with being an archaeologist. I mean, yeah, these are issues of ego, and that can be very difficult to shed, particularly when 
This is all being bolstered by a system of inequality that automatically privileges and positions people of specific backgrounds in ways that, you know, quite frankly, they can do less and get more. Yeah. And obviously that is actually a whole other kettle of fish. And I'm sure that you could spend a lot of time talking exactly about how privilege affects archaeology. And I think we might save that for a future uh, podcast. I just wanted to talk about the word anarchy and the word anarchism and how it gets a bad rap for what it is and what it tries to represent and what it exists as. Maybe it's time that, you know, we, we put the blusher on and put the lipstick on anarchy a bit, you know, and uh, see if we can, you know, dig out what 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 is the best in anarchy i mean what does anarchy mean to you mm. well first of all anarchism doesn't need lipstick it's beautiful as it is <laughs> <laughs> oh it does it shouldn't conform to my uh pre predetermined like ideas about beauty sorry jeez i'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, i i mean in a word or in a phrase what anarchism means to me and why it why I find reading anarchist theory, anarchist methodology, um, and, you know, there are anarchist scientists like Paul Firebrand who write, you know, against this and that. Um, and, you know, I think the common thread for me mm-hmm. that, and you see people, you know, anarchism is, you know, destroy the state. Uh, we were talking briefly before the show, anarchism is set fire to things, and those are all not really mm-hmm. anarchism. I mean, maybe maybe dismantling elements of the state is certainly <laughs> yeah. an element. But for me, anarchism, the, 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 the thread, the core mm-hmm. that I think most anarchists would agree on is this idea of against hierarchy. And um, right, that does not preclude people working together. That does not preclude people taking charge of a situation. Um, what it what it means for me is you know against hierarchy is shedding these unnecessary uh, trappings of you know we can call it expertise we can call it authority we can call it uh, hierarchy there's a lot of posturing that takes place mm-hmm. um, and I think we we can shed those things and for me even though I've not you know I've not written or published this anarchy anarchism's ideas about maintaining a sort of a watch against you know the encroachment of hierarchy for me that that i center that in my practice of archaeology uh through Mm -hmm. collaborative approaches i mean that's Mm -hmm. what for you know and by collaboration we we can go into that in greater detail if we want but you know generally what collaborative archaeology or community-based archaeology means to me mm-hmm. is every point through the process, and I'm clearly not alone, right? Other folks yeah. like Sonia Adelaide um, talk about this in great detail. Um, I'm clearly not alone in saying, you know, collaborative or community-based archaeology, every step of the process, all the stakeholders, and I, you know, there's obviously problems with that term, but stakeholders are involved in the process every step of the way. So when I have an idea for a project, and my recent work in Nevis is really um, where I've sort of tested this myself, where I'm testing my own practice of archaeology in this regard. When I went to Nevis, I, I first 
met with people all around that country, um, from, you know, people in the government to people I just walked into on this, you know, bumped into on the street or walked into their restaurants and was really, you know, my first step, right? The sort of like the most fundamental aspect of archaeology. What site am I going to dig? You know, what site answers this hypothesis generated from these theories, you know, sort of a classic archaeology. Yeah. What yeah. site? Well, I talked to people there and again and again and again, a cross-section of Norwegian society said you should dig the forts. And I'm like, well, those are British forts. Um, so those are white sites. Mm -hmm. I want to do Afro-Caribbean stuff. What speaks to your identity? You know, uh -huh. there's a there's a lot of naivete in, in the way I approach this. Yeah. And yeah. Again and again, it could be people I met hiking in the mountains. It could be, um, you know, the head of some department with the government. Oh, no, the forts speak directly to our identity. And that that forced me to reconcile, you know, a, a relatively um, uncomfortable truth that I was, in fact, coloring sites before I got to know anything about them. You know, well, that's a white site and I want to do black sites. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> No, that's, these aren't black and white. I mean, maybe that's trite, but um, so, you know, and then moving forward, you know, well, what are we going to investigate? Even what methodologies? In Rosewood, when I first went to, um, when I first went to the descendant community and yeah. sort of the advocates gathered around them, I was suggesting a traditional archaeology because there's great examples of archaeology really revealing stuff about mm -hmm. African-American communities. I can think of, you know, like New Philadelphia Project in Illinois has been really successful in doing this. Um, and so I'm talking to the descendants and I'm like, hey, uh, let's do archaeology. We can learn about your families. And the first response was, no, you're not going to tell me by digging in my mom's yard, you're not going to tell me something I don't already know about my mother or grandmother. And that, again, forced a pause on my part. Oh, um, well, what would you like me to sort of do? What can an archaeologist do for you? And their response was, well, we want to get the story out to more people. And so that forced me, you know, I sort of offhandedly suggested, well, why don't we recreate the town of Rosewood as a virtual world environment so people could go and see what the town was like before it was destroyed? That mm -hmm. resonated with the descendants. And so that was, okay, well, now here's a whole new set of method, <laughs> methods that I have to go learn. <laughs> um, but I was happy, you know, I, I was glad to do it. And it's produced, uh, I think, a remarkable mm -hmm. project that's ongoing and will keep going and is actually getting people in a relatively rural area of the southern U.S. to have uh, an open, like, public yeah. forum style converse series of conversations about race in mm -hmm. the American South, which is something that, you know, a lot of people, we should be having similar conversations in the American North about the yeah. North. That <laughs> is definitely a different topic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so all of these things, I mean, I've been reading anarchism for years. I mean, before I went back to college, I didn't start my undergraduate till I was 25. I was involved in all sorts of anti-war stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I was at the WTO protests in 99 in Seattle. Um, anarchism was something that, you know, was already sort of in my mind. And so when I started applying it to my own practice, and it, was, it wasn't anything, you know, like overly sophisticated or overly theorized. I just took that one 
sort of idea of against hierarchy and try to make sure everything I did was as least hierarchical as possible. And for me, it's produced incredible engagements with a huge cross-section uh, of American and international uh, cultures and society. So I think it, it, just in that one little phrase, there's a lot and there's a lot of archaeologists who are already doing it. They didn't need anarchism to do it. Uh, but for me, I found it very inspirational. I'm just wondering here, isn't this all just community archaeology by a different name? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we But I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's what we do as academics, right? Uh -huh. Neologisms. Uh, I mean, I'm being a little uh, tongue-in-cheek. But uh, in some ways, yeah, absolutely. And I think what's... For me, the way I frame that, and I, I've done that, I don't know if plugs are okay, I've done that in a, yeah, a relative <laughs> like that. You can plug anything, I don't get any money, it doesn't matter, just, well, just plug, plug away. Out, you know, something I wrote. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> right, I gotta get those numbers up. Uh, well, so, um, you know, working in Nevis and, and, and sort of contrasting a participatory and a collaborative style of community-based or community archaeology. I wouldn't say participatory is community-based. You know, participatory is sort of what we would, I think, in America call a classic public archaeology. This is where you engage the public, but typically you do it in very structured um, and oftentimes expert-centered ways. So you, 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 you know, the archaeologist chooses what site to date. The archaeologist chooses what methods are appropriate. The archaeologist basically does what the archaeologist does. And then at, at preordained uh, points, meets with stakeholders to usually yeah. sort of disperse knowledge. Um, and, of course, that setting, is, you know, when, when something happens on the archaeologist or the expert's uh, time, you know, schedule, that's that's hierarchical. Uh, you know, for me, a collaborative approach, like the, the projects I was uh, describing earlier, you know, a collaborative approach to archaeology, you know, sometimes it's, it's nothing. Sometimes it's having lunch and dinner with stakeholders yeah. because they've become actual friends. I mean, this is where archaeology becomes more ethnography. And again, for me, anarchism has a lot to teach us about, um, you know, removing that hierarchy from archaeological practice. Because most of us are being taught that's how you do archaeology. Yeah. And so we're not actually learning that, well, no, you know, part of the way you do archaeology is you go and you have Sunday barbecue at somebody's church. That's a part of archaeology. Because that, you know, that means you get to actually know people in a, in a sense that, yeah, I can't really write about the Sunday barbecue I had. I mean, there's a lot of benefits. <laughs> I got to Sunday barbecue. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> you saying stakeholder and barbecue and dinner, and I just, I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> I'm imagining you saying, I'm having steak with stakeholders. <laughs> it's killing me. <laughs> Oh dear! I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, sirloin with stakeholders. Um, oh jeez. You know. But yeah, yeah. No, of course. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, no. It's. I, I, I think barbecue. I think like pulled pork. But yeah, steak. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I, steak. 
yeah. I, mean, I say this as a vegetarian, but um Oh right, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'll stop talking about steak. It's fine, it's fine. Oh sorry, it was my mistake. Um, <laughs> ah, puns, good, good. Oh, I love a good pun. Sorry. Rewind. Say you're talking about um, interacting with stakeholders, talking about barbecues. <laughs> okay, uh, let me collect my thoughts for a second. <laughs> no. So, in regards to, for me, you know, engaging with stakeholders. Um, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have paused. I knew it was going to do that. <laughs> Okay, 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 right, just calm that one down. I think we'll just go to the next question. I'll just chop and change and cut out the the, the bit of that. Because I swear, if I hear the word stakeholder again, I'm going to cry with tears. That's probably good. I should probably stop using that term anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, oh, dear. No, no, okay, right, right. Next question is, how would you introduce archaeologists to the idea of anarchy. I mean, do you uh, do you talk to any of your students about it? Do you talk to your colleagues? How how do you kind of like? Obviously, as you said, other people are already doing it at the moment. But how do you have a conversation with them about? It? Well, you know, this is something that um, that I've thought long and and hard about. And you know, each each sort of population that you're talking about requires a different um, different sort of approach. You know, so when I talk to students, um, you know, depending on the group of students, uh, sometimes I try to sort of, you know, enter this conversation uh, by talking about, say, Marxism. Uh, one of the ways I talk about, you know, and obviously in the, uh, you know, the U.S. today, the 21st century, a lot of the students I encounter still have a very superficial set of beliefs about McCarthy-esque <laughs> beliefs about <laughs> commies, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I could, I could regale you with tales of when I'm describing Marxism, uh, you know, providing a language of capitalism and a study of the modern economic system and being so fundamental, we have to rework it, but fundamental to this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I could regale you with stories of students shaking their heads knowingly, that I'm I'm crazy and I probably have a red shirt on under my button up and whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. So the way I introduce that is I talk about you know we we have to think about these you know Karl Marx didn't write because he wanted the world to become a worse place. He did it for an incredibly lofty reason. He wanted to make the lives of people better. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so I, I usually try to relate this to maybe somebody like uh, Dickens. You know, who's familiar with Dickens? It's unfortunate how few students are. Um, but, you know, this is somebody else whose literature is designed to wake people up to the suffering of others. Um, and so, you know, I try to, I guess, appeal to people's uh, compassion when I bring these, these topics up. Because the way we represent these sorts of things um, has become, you know, relatively aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's, that's the spirit of a lot of these, these thinkers. I think what was motivating them was a sincere and genuine desire to improve the lives of their fellow human beings. Uh, and I see in anarchism a lot of that similar uh, 
impulse. Uh, so, you know, some of the ways I, I suggest, uh, I guess I suggest people is through, you know, the work of other people. So there's a, there's a woman and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce the surname correctly, but Judith, uh, Sousa, S U I S S has written a great book on anarchism and education. And, mm -hmm. you know, the subtitle of a philosophical perspective. And it's a, first of all, it's, it's a relatively thin book. It comes in at, you know, less than 200 pages, I think. Um, and this is a book that a reviews, what is anarchism? What's the history of anarchism? Who are the, you know, the, the, the central thinkers, but then applies mm -hmm. it to something that most people in the modern world, uh, can access very easily issues of education. And so, you know, in this book, and again, I think this resonates with archaeologists, particularly those of us who are involved in, in the academy, but I think any archaeologist is an educator, um, whether you're working on a contract or a cultural resource management project in a museum. I mean, I, I don't see an archaeologist, A, not engaging with the public, mm -hmm. and B, not educating fellow archaeologists and the public. So in this in this text by Sousa, um, she sort of has three main points. The first is the idea that a rejection of authority by anarchists uh, precludes a coherent theory of education, and that's not true, <laughs> right? But yeah. that 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 would resonate uh, for archaeologists. Well, you can't. Some of the questions that you had, you know, how can we have, how can we function in the field? if we do away with something like order or hierarchy, um, this, right, that sort of reaction conflates the rejection of hierarchy with the rejection of order. And those are yeah. not the same thing. Um, second, she goes on to talk about anarchy's, right, um, uh, argument against the state and how people, again, conflate that as an argument against universal education. Right? But I would... I would agree with her that anarchism and its rejection of the state or hierarchy is precluded on a nuanced view of like human nature, one that's uh, typically glossed over. I mean, and that's where for me, this, this feels like uh, a very compassionate theory. You know, this, this, this is coming from uh, the idea of helping people. And then finally, she talks about the contradiction of how anarchism can teach non-coercively. Uh, while still mm. contributing to programs of social transformation. This is something that I think would be a conundrum for a lot of archaeologists. Well, how can I do archaeology, um, but then invite non-experts or people who don't have expertise mm. into the conversation? How can I modify my methods according to... That's a very practical um, uh, consideration. And I think a lot of archaeologists would confuse that just like a lot of educators would confuse that with, um, you know, this isn't necessarily, well, how do I write a test? I mean, right. It's not like, how do I dig uh, a unit? How do I dig a square hole? For me, that idea is what pushed me into exploring virtual world environments and mm -hmm. new media as, uh, an avenue of education. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's not, change your methods it's literally develop wholly new ones not that virtual mm -hmm. archaeology was pioneered by me by any <laughs> no, i mean but. it's not even <laughs> in of itself it just for me it became a methodology that i had not really explored previously um but ended up 
right? And so for, uh, you know, anarchism's value in terms of education, it's oriented towards social growth, or sorry, social change and personal growth. And I think that that would resonate with a lot of archaeologists, particularly if we're talking about how does archaeology connect the past with the present? Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is like larger conversations in anthropology about reflexivity. Uh, reflexivity yeah. isn't just, you know, something you put in the paragraph of your introduction to sort of, well, you know, I'm aware that I'm a person and I have bias and now I'm just going to go basically commit all those same things. But I said <laughs> yeah. I knew about it, so it's okay. Um, it wasn't my intent. Therefore, right. it magically changes all the outcome. <laughs> right. Yeah, no one that one. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's not about social change or personal growth. It's about, you know, both. It's about doing and striving to do both. It seems the way um, you talk, and actually some of my previous guests have talked, that a lot of the time, archaeology isn't just what they do as a job. It isn't really just during the working hours. It seems to that archaeology kind of melds into other parts of uh, people's lives, almost to the point where their entire lives, uh, archaeology is always somewhere, if not two steps uh just two steps away. I mean, how do you feel? What do you, what do you feel your connection to archaeology is? Do you think that it's everywhere or do you have a set kind of boundary where archaeology can't cross? Well, um, I think there's two, uh, two sides or two elements to that. One, right, when, when a person becomes invested in the identity of the expert, um, mm-hmm. then if they're an archaeologist, then it becomes very difficult to uh, determine where one's career or one's job ends and one's personal identity or life begins. And I think that can cause a lot of problems. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, don't go around and tell people you're an archaeologist, but if, if, you know, and this is, I don't know if this is psychology or what, but when your (laughs) identity is, is so fundamentally wrapped up in your nine to five, um, mm-hmm. that can produce a lot of insecurity that can produce a lot of anxiety. I mean, that can be a mentally unhealthy, uh, thing. And maybe this is a little too much of, of my personal life coming into everything, <laughs> but, um, you know, so I think we have to be careful with that. I think if we're thinking about ideas of personal growth, it, it, it could actually be a, a very healthy position, um, to yeah. occupy in regards to shedding off authoritative or expertise type of of identities. Mm -hmm. Um, But in regards to, you know, where does archaeology begin or end? For me, and I had a, uh, I had a faculty member at the University of Florida, James Davidson. He said, you know, archaeology, if you're not asking questions about the past, you're not doing archaeology. And I love Mm -hmm. that sort of, um, that's so broad, right? I mean, sure, some people think, oh, that's meaningless. Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think it is because I think our, our, any, you know, and there's great scholars uh, on, on your side of the pond um, doing work in the, you know, recent and contemporary past, the archaeology of, of uh, more current time periods. Um, archaeology is everywhere. It's not just, you know, how do I dig a square hole? It's mm-hmm. how do I think about the past mm-hmm. and the past's influence conditions connections the past's existence in the present right and present uh and vice versa 
you know, heritage studies are very nice for thinking, helping us think about how the present conditions our understanding of the past. Uh, so in that regard, I think everything, right? And I think everything is archaeology and some of the stuff, you know, some of the methods that I explore, particularly in regards to Rosewood, and it's an uncomfortable truth that maybe we don't talk about enough when I'm, uh, you know, I'll give talks, public talks or talks at other universities. And I've had fellow archaeologists come up to me and, mm -hmm. and ask me point blank, how is what you're doing archaeology? Because I'm not digging enough holes or I don't have enough pictures of artifacts. And that's, you know, I think that's unfortunate, you know. So, yeah, my main data set uh, for a lot of the Rosewood study is a a new approach, what I would contend is an archaeological approach to historical documents. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, thousands of property deeds, census records, these these rarely utilized, at least in the way that I had to in Rosewood, rarely utilized forms of historical evidence becomes my archaeological evidence. You know, and a lot of people uh, I've encountered seem to applaud that, but other people uh, seem very troubled by that. That, you know, and I guess this probably mirrors, um, you know, issues of, of disciplinary identity. Well, if you're not yeah. digging holes and people think of you as an archaeologist, what does that make? I don't know. I, I, I don't know where that anxiety comes from. But um, I can tell you, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of hurtful when people ask a question like that. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So if somebody was um, very interested about learning about the kind of stuff you've been talking about, wh where where's the first place that you'd suggest that they go and read or go and see? I mean, do you have online stuff for Rosewood or your other projects? I do. Um, so right, uh, Rosewood, there's... Um you can go to rosewood-heritage.net or virtualrosewood.com. It's the same website. Uh, that describes the, the research I've been doing in, in Florida. Um, my personal website, which is uh, Gonzalez Tenant with no hyphen, so G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z -E or Z-T-E-N-N-A-N-T.net uh, is my personal website. Um, and I have a blog there, so I, you know, I blog about some of the things I care about. Probably not always of interest to most people, but um, <laughs> yeah. as, as many blogs, I suppose. S same here. Trust <laughs> <me>. <laughs> uh, what about you? You remember uh, you mentioned about anarchy and education by Susa. Mm -hmm. um, are there any other books that would be of very in, uh, of interest to people who are interested in anarchy and archaeology? Well, I mean, I'm. Um, I mean, probably one of the, it's not archaeology, but it would be David Graeber's work. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we're getting the into the question about what archaeology is and isn't. Oh, dear. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, yeah, uh, I'm going to always fall on archaeology is everything. Because uh, yep. my interests, you know, one week I'm this, I'm that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, so there's, I mean, the nice thing is, I, I don't think anybody's written, you know, sort of a fright, you know, Braver's mm. Fragments of an Anarchist Anthropology. I don't think anybody's written a Fragments of an Anarchist Archaeology. Um, I don't know that we even necessarily need that. But, um, you know, that's a, it's a good place to start. I, I mean, really, I, again, I don't get anything uh, for this. AK Press has a lot of great books on anarchism. Um 
and I don't know. And there's, I guess there's now a journal of anarchist studies. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm like looking this up to make sure I'm not an idiot. Um, <laughs> anarchist studies. It's not a journal. It's just, that's, it's not journal of, right. but it's just called anarchist yeah. studies. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there's uh, the classics. I mean, some of the, the classic works uh, like Kropotkin, you know, Kropotkin for me is somebody who is, um, really uh kind of an exceptional guy he's uh you know he blends in some of his earlier stuff he blends uh darwinism with anarchist thought to talk about how um cooperation is something that could be selected for right so Mm -hmm. it as a way to sort of challenge the social uh darwinist thinking that was gripping a lot of europe and america in the late 19 sorry late 1800s early 1900s um he sort of looks at this and says, well, you know, no, um, mutual aid is mm-hmm. something we see in the natural world, too. We have, you know, symbiotic relationships between plants and animals and animals and animals. Um, why isn't that a model for society? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Not yet. <laughs> and that's why we need more research. No, that, that's, that's one of my, uh, one of my pet hates is always the, oh, we need more research on it. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it. I've just got one last question, right? I've got one last question. I hope you're ready to answer this one because this is very important to me. I'm ready to give you an answer. I can't guarantee how good it'll be. <laughs> With all of this, aren't you an anarchaeologist? <gasps> Um, <laughs> that's going to be the only, um, you don't edit out, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I consider myself, yeah, I would consider myself uh, an, an, an archeologist or, uh, <laughs> I think you're meant to be able to say it if you are it. <laughs> I, I definitely consider, you know, I, I definitely, um, I would definitely represent myself as an archaeologist who has derived a lot of inspiration from anarchism as a living yeah. philosophy or a living political theory. However, um, and it's it's an incredibly broad tradition that yeah. because of the the relatively negative um, but minor mm-hmm. representations that have cropped up in the last two or three generations, which of course have a much deeper history. Um, mm-hmm. Most people don't even think of it as, as real. It's too easy to sort of think of, you know, Oh, that's just fire wielding mask wearing lunatics yeah. who, you know, haven't accessed their trust fund yet. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's not, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, calling, um, mm-hmm you know, the various various communist states that have arisen. Oh, yeah, you know, that's why we don't pay attention to Marx. But we don't even do that as, as scholars. I mean, yeah. we, we modify Marx heavily through, you know, Frankfurt mm-hmm. School onwards. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, that why aren't we doing the same thing for anarchism? Particularly mm-hmm. when it's such a, you know, for, it's such a soulful theory in so many yeah. ways. Like, let's make the world a better place. How dare you? um let's not be jerks and hierarchical insert curse word um you know well how do we not do that i mean in some ways you don't need a freaking theory right it's just like yeah no exactly uh, be simple one another 
<laughs> don't be an asshole. <laughs> you know, exactly. that's, it's it's a very it's a very pertinent rule in whatever area you work in. Yep, I, that's obviously. Why- that's why I think you're, you know, you're seeing now. I mean, a few years ago, Rutledge had a um, an edited volume out uh, called Contemporary Anarchist Studies, and there are people in every discipline right now yeah. uh, rediscovering anarchism. And as archaeologists, we can, you know, and I'll be blunt, you know, um, as when are you ever not blunt? <laughs> as archaeologists, we could wait a generation and start incorporating this theory. Um, as we so often do with social theory, oh, let's let the cultural anthropologists discover it a generation after the social theorists, and then we'll pick it up uh, a generation after that. Um, we could, I think, like so many archaeologists have contended about so many different uh, theoretical perspectives, archaeology could be engaging with anarchism, anarchism and producing valuable insights, not just for archaeologists, but for other disciplines as well. I mean, we have a huge range of time that we work with pretty uh, readily, pretty comfortably. Most archaeologists can ask those why questions across a huge span of time and do it very skillfully. So why aren't we, you know, similarly using that? <laughs> now I'm going to sound like a, like I'm contradicting myself, but um, why can't we use that expertise? Uh, (laughs) why can't we use that expertise to engage with the rediscovery of anarchism that's happening in in, uh, you know other disciplines many of which we we work with all the time I mean lots of places archaeologists work with educators or you know uh, education Mm -hmm. uh, professors uh, history uh, sociology all of these various um, disciplines we may have contentious relationships with them from time to time, but we draw on them and ideally some of them draw on the work we do in a perfect world. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and having a lovely discussion about anarchy and archaeology. Uh, I'll let you get back to, you know, bringing down the government, writing stuff about uh, how we shouldn't have anybody in charge and uh, there best of go. luck to you. And <laughs> I never got a visa again. <laughs> because <laughs> that's really what happens <laughs> thanks for listening this is the anarchaeologist podcast unashamedly anarchy based and just a little tiny bit marxist tune in to next fortnight's show where we'll be talking to brent huffman uh, about saving antiquity in conflict and war zones thank you and tune in next time